I just got that burning desire, that sick feeling in my stomach that if I don't accomplish this dream, I will never fully fulfill my life purpose. And from that moment on, I've dedicated every fiber of my being to the veterinary profession. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud podcast. I'm Adam Greenbaum. Today, I have Cody Creelman, most famous cow vet on earth, I would assume. Is that how you envision yourself? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes I like to think that the name Cody is synonymous with cow vet. I would agree. Well, I appreciate you joining me. It's Sunday. We're recording. And you and I had a good chat last week. In fact, it was so good. I hung up on you. Well, not hung up on you, but I hung up with you and I said, damn it, we should have just hit record and that would have been it. Oh, this will be way better. Don't worry. Well, I was talking to our marketing team here at Whisker Cloud and we asked you a couple of questions before we jump on. And and I, I jokingly told everyone I was just going to throw this at you without jumping into anything else. I think a lot of people that know you, I see your merchandise, hoodies, shirts, hats, everything, Christmas sweaters, everywhere. I guess the most important question I might ask today is, you have this logo. I want to know the creative process. For those of you out there listening that haven't seen this logo, how would you describe the logo? It's probably a lot nicer than I'll describe it. How would you describe it? Well, it is an image of my likeness palpating a cow. So I was driving down the road one day, and I had been into the social media game a little bit, and I was just thinking about logos in general and brand awareness, and I had been agonizing over a a logo for my personal brand, and it just popped into my head that this vector image of a Cattle veterinarian palpating a cow is about as iconic as it gets for a, for a cattle veterinarian. So the, in terms of the creative process, I had a pretty clear vision. So I just Googled vector cow images and I saw, okay, we'll be able to get pretty close. I got dressed up in my boots and my coveralls and got one of my vet techs to take a picture of me doing a pretend palpation of a cow. And I just found a vector artist on Fiverr and I sent them the picture of me and a couple samples of vector cows and told them to put it all together and the rest is history. Yeah. And for the people on on the Whisker Cloud team that had never seen it, as we were sort of putting together show notes before this, everyone like died laughing the moment they saw it. And they were like, wait, are you kidding? And I'm like, I didn't just make this to mess with you guys, which sounds like me a little bit. Right. But no, I mean, and, and it's sort of become this iconic thing. There's nothing better. I would say the best experience is to walk down like a large city. So like to go to San Francisco wearing my Palpation Nation merch or going through a large airport because I get stopped all the time. And it's a the the thing, the best part about it is not the brand awareness, but it's a conversation starter around veterinary medicine. So it gives people a smile. You know, I'll get a I'll get a smile and a wink from from somebody walking past them uh, in downtown San Francisco, and they'll say, I know what that is. And uh, and then we get to have a conversation about me being a veterinarian, and I get to hear their story. So it's just a great icebreaker. The first time I had ever learned who you were, I don't know, man, I was maybe a couple months into Whisker Cloud, and I was just on Instagram one day looking up different hashtags and 
there was like a, a video of you and I saw you had a ton of followers. So I'm like going through your videos and stuff. And you would think after six years in this industry, I would know some of this stuff a little bit better. But there's a video of you and there's a giant abscess on a cow and you just like pop it and shit shoots everywhere. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And it was just like, all right. There's a funny line in the movie, Knocked Up, where he's like, these guys are at work right now while they're watching a like, Cirque du Soleil show. And I remember thinking like, he's at work right now. Like, <laughs> popping this giant thing on this cow. Pretty impressive stuff. Oh, I do love myself a good juicy abscess. And with the social media stuff, I almost resent abscess videos to an extent because it's the easiest cheat code in the world is to just lance an abscess and to video it and put it on YouTube because it's like an instant like 900,000 views without even trying it. There's this culture of pimple popper watchers and this culture of people who love abscess videos on YouTube. So I, I attribute nearly all my YouTube fame to abscess popping. Yes, my wife is a huge fan of abscess popping, watching abscess popping. She's obsessed with it. So she has now watched every single one of your videos ever. And really gets a lot of enjoyment out of it. She'll watch it while we're eating. There's just something psychological about it. There's no question. People who describe the ones who watch like pimple popper videos or there's a Dr. Booger, as you would say in America, he's an ENT, so a ear, nose and throat specialist. And he has a great Instagram account where he's essentially just extracting balls of earwax out of people's ears and sucking sinuses dry when people have infected sinuses. And there's just there's something psychological about the like cleansing nature of it. It makes people feel feel warm and fuzzy inside to watch somebody rid the evil out of a, a giant abscess. And this right here is why I could have never been a veterinarian. That plus my inability to pass any type of chemistry or biology class in my life. But other than that, yeah, I don't think I could have done any of these things. <laughs> well, it is for a few special people for sure. So you're from Beaver Lodge, Alberta, Canada. That's right. Yeah. Now, you called it a sleepy farming and oil field town when you told us that. That's right. How sleepy is it? Well, so in terms of geography, I always, when I'm giving vets, vet school talks, I always ask, uh, so how many of you know where Montana is? And this is US-based vet school. So that's always like the joke that only about half of the vet students know where Montana is. But once we get past that, I say, okay, Think about the Montana-Canada border and then go from there 1,000 miles to the north of that. And that is where I'm from. That is the perspective of the geography that, that we're pretty far north. We're much farther north than the majority of the Canadian population. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just like a, a West Texas oil town, but it gets cold. So cattle and oil rule everything. These are third generation farmers and ranchers. And then the oil field boom hit in like the, the 80s and 90s. And that's where I'm from. 3,000 people in kind of this this very rural northern community. It's so interesting for me to picture places. Uh, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is also sort of an odd place to be from and to live in and spend. I was there for 27 years before going to Colorado and then coming out here to California. And when I hear stories about what you just said, I'll be honest, I, I can't even put myself in the frame of mind to even picture it. Is that weird? 
<laughs> well, it, it is very, it's very different. There's no doubt. It's very remote. It's very pristine. So like, it's just, it's wildlife. It's grizzly bears. It's moose. It's elk. Yeah, it is the, basically the top of the Rocky Mountain chain. So it's remote and it's wild, but there's some amazing people that are, that are from there. And that's my roots. That's where I come from. That is so cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm picturing the movie The Revenant in my head. And I don't want you to, if it's nothing like it, don't tell me. Let me just have this one. <laughs> yeah, you know, in terms of my background, I have like the most quintessential Alberta background that you could ever ask for. My grandpa on my mom's side was was a farmer, like a homesteader. My mom grew up in two granaries pulled together and they didn't have electricity or running water until she was 16. This was actually in the 70s before they even got running water or power. And then on my dad's side, my grandpa was an oil driller. You know the movie Armageddon? Oh, yeah. So Harry Stamper, right? The person that they called when they needed to drill a hole on an asteroid, that would be my grandpa. Uh, he's now passed, but he he could literally drill a, a, an oil well in anywhere, including an asteroid. So I'm, I'm from both sides of it. I'm from the oil field background on my grandpa's side and the farming side on my other grandpa's side. And, and that's as quintessential Albertan as you can get. That's a uh, pretty interesting stuff. Like I said, it's hard to picture, but when I hear about it, it's so fascinating to think even the running water and electricity thing, but man, that's cool stuff. Well, I want to do this. We do every, we do this on every episode. I'm talking to you from my home office, which has more incredible Hulk stuff than I'll probably ever care to admit. So let's talk about your veterinary superpowers, your origin story. What was the moment you were bit by the spider? What got uh-huh. you into bed? Yeah. So, and I must mention my favorite uh, superhero would be Wolverine for sure, because he's from Canada. So you always gotta, you always gotta support your Canadian boys. I love that, by the way. It would be like, <laughs> he's in my top three. He's got a lot of Hulk qualities that I share. Exactly, exactly. So in terms of origin story, I grew up with this sort of humble farm boy roots, just doing chores and feeding cows and this very sort of rural background. I wasn't overly academic, uh, didn't really think about university or anything like that. But a girl on my school bus, she had mentioned to me that she thought I would be interested in our local vet clinic work experience program. She had just taken it and she thought that I would enjoy it. So I said, might as well. So I signed up for a semester. And that was like the first time that I'd ever even stepped into a vet clinic before. And I was absolutely hooked from the first second. I feel like the second that vet clinic smell permeated my nostrils, it was like it completely changed my DNA. And I had been bitten by the radioactive spider. And I have never looked back. I loved every second of it. I had English class after every lunchtime. So I would work from like 8am until until after lunch. And then I'd have to get to English class and I would be late every single day. And my English professor would stop the class and say, okay, Cody, tell us your story. Because I would be walking into my high school English class covered in placenta and like dripping abscess and my hands were stained with iodine. And she just saw this huge smile on my face. And, and I would get to recap my story of lancing an abscess or semen testing a bull or saving a dog. It was just something that I love so much. And I just got that 
burning desire, that sick feeling in my stomach that if I don't accomplish this dream, I will never fully fulfill my life purpose. And from that moment on, I've dedicated every fiber of my being to the veterinary profession. I really love that. And and I like what you just said. You know what's funny about what you just said, like that last sentence? I had three conversations on the phone today that kind of are in line. I had these with family members who are all trying to make big decisions. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you want something, you're just going to go do it. And, and it sounds like at that point, you just said, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, there was there was no alternative for me. There was never a plan B. And I didn't have the toolkit. I wasn't a smart kid. I wasn't from a an urban center that had sort of prep classes for university. I just threw myself into it and and recognized very early that I was not the smartest trying to do this path, but the only thing that I could control, the only variable was I could work harder. So I just kind of like dug down and doubled down on my farm boy experiences and and just thought, well, I'm never going to be smarter than these other kids trying to get into vet school, but I can put in more hours. I can be more effective, more efficient. I can work on more weekends. I can do this. So that's what I did. And it was super hard and it was super scary. I would actually physically puke before every midterm and final exam in my undergraduate because I thought if I bomb this one test, then my all my life dreams and goals would disappear. So I, I took it seriously. I just I could not fathom an alternative reality not being in veterinary medicine. What percentage of veterinary professionals do you think share that exact passion you just shared on this on this podcast? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I would say it modifies as well. So bear with me for a second. So I feel like once we're in veterinary school, it feels like it's almost 50-50. When you're talking to veterinarians, there's this subset that just knew in their every fiber of their being when they were four years old that they wanted to be a veterinarian. So there is a high percentage. And then there's another percentage that it was just interesting to them. They didn't really know what they would do. There were some of them that are just obnoxiously smart and could get into any program and they just applied to vet med just to see what would happen and they got in. But what I think the more important question is not within vet school, it's when we look like five years out, once people have that clinical experience and have been in the profession and then re-looking at that question of how many feel that way once they're in practice and once all the chips have fallen because it, it shifts and it changes. And it, it's one of the things that also rips my heart out about the culture of the profession as well is just the sheer number of veterinarians that end up regretting that decision too. If you look at some of the literature, it's close to 50% of veterinarians five years out in practice wish they had never pursued this career. And that just breaks my heart. Well, you and I had talked about that last week, but let's talk about that for a second because, I, again, I always want people to listen to this, whether it's like marketing tips or website tips or what you're talking about here. How does it get to that point? Because, I mean, it's interesting. My Here at Whisker Cloud, we might get 300 support emails in a day. And it's really interesting because I feel like we're a really good barometer because we work with clinics around the world and we see shifts in moods, like overall moods. So it's really interesting. Like Friday... The emails we get are typically very frantic, very worried, very upset. Typically right before and right after a holiday, it's pretty chaotic, a lot of stress. And then that gets sort of passed on to probably the vendors they work with. How do you get that point? So let's say I went to school, passionate. I love dogs. That's why I have Whisker Cloud. People say to me, well, why don't you do everything that Whisker Cloud does for dentists or lawyers or whatever? And I say, well, 
I don't care about that stuff. I care about my dogs. I mean, I, I worked at a company years ago and, and it was so far away from home that my drive home every day was so far away from my dogs that I ended up leaving the company. A good chunk of the reason was just because I'm like, nope, I miss my dogs during the day, which is an odd thing. But how do these people become this so excited about becoming a vet, go to college, go to vet school, get a job? Is it just the interactions with pet parents? What is the driving factor that really starts to make them regret it? Yeah. So I think there's two of it, two pieces to that. So the first one is expectation. And this is one thing that I talk to veterinary students a lot when I do talks uh, at the vet schools. So it starts early with this expectation that once we do this really hard thing, that all of our wildest dreams will be fulfilled and we'll feel really emotionally fulfilled, that we can go out into practice and keep in mind this word expectation, because I think that's key. So we have this expectation that we're going to go out into practice and we're going to save these animals' lives. And that's going to provide all the fulfillment, emotional fulfillment that we need. And it just unfortunately is not the case. I've performed absolute heroics saving animals' lives. And at the end of the day, they're super ungrateful. And a cow is just as liable to kill you as thank you after you save its life. So I feel like veterinarians go into into practice thinking that they've done this hard thing and they expect that they will be emotionally fulfilled just by doing the pure technical work. That, that you do this surgery, it goes really, really well, and that that's going to fill your cup up. And it's not the case because the thing within veterinary medicine, like everything in life is it's not the technical task. It's not the connection with animals, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It, it feels really, really great to be able to, to help animals. That's why we get into this. That's why we stick with this. That's why we do this really hard thing. But we have this expectation that that's going to be enough. And what it truly is, is the people around us. It is that culture. It is our clients, our relationships with our clients. If you ask me, what is the thing you love the most about veterinary medicine? It's the people. It's the people that we get to work with every day. It's my clients. It's my team. It's the, it's the colleagues that I have. It's vendors like yourself. It's, it's those types of people that really fill and fulfill my life. So expectation is so incredible important. We need to shift that expectation that and, and mentor young veterinarians to look for practices that will develop that, that have great cultures. And then that leads into the second part of to answer your question, and that is top-down leadership. You are a leader in your organization, and you know this to the nth degree. If you don't have great leadership, you don't have great culture. And if you don't have great culture, you are going to have all kinds of issues when it comes to professional fulfillment or fulfillment within these roles. And I think there's certainly some amazing leaders out there, but I think that there is certainly room for improvement. There's room for better leadership within the veterinary profession, and there's certainly room for better culture within veterinary medicine as well. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's so funny because we hear that all the time. And I assume most of the people in vet med hear that all the time, whether they're in Facebook groups, whether they're attending NAVC or VMX or WVC or any of these things. So everyone talks about it. Why is nothing happening? I mean, if we all talk about it all the time, what's going on? Yeah, there's, it's multifactorial, as is everything. And I don't pretend that I know all the answers, but it certainly is multifactorial. We hear about a lot of the bad stuff, the negative 
portion of social media is very, very loud and it's an echo chamber. It even goes so far as to is to almost uh, some sort of like martyrism where I believe that people within the profession almost think that they're martyrs, that they're sacrificing their mental health, they're sacrificing their personal relationships to make this job work, to make this career happen, to save these animals lives. And that's just not a healthy approach to it. Right. So I feel like these negative echo chambers, and I get this all the time. One of the reasons why my videos, why, why my content has resonated so well with the veterinary student body is because it's based off of positivity. They see 99% of the content created around veterinary medicine as being negative. You know, they're shitting on clients. They're making memes about the cultural problems within veterinary medicine. The Facebook groups are just littered with how hard it is to pay off student debt load, how difficult it is to be a veterinary technician, all of these things. Certainly all of it is true, but it's very, very loud. And what the veterinary student body sees in, in my content is this, this positivity that there's a veterinarian out there who's thriving and surviving and has a smile on his face and his family loves him. And, and it's unfortunately kind of the rarity within veterinary medicine content for people to see that. So those are two small portions of why that is the case, but it's multifactorial. It's, we have corporate consolidation. We have high debt load. We have a, a very emotional based profession. There's just so many things, just so, so many tiny things. So that's why I think that the, the leadership part is so important is, is we just need more passionate and thoughtful sort of leadership approaches. I don't think there's been enough thoughtfulness within veterinary medicine. It's been too reactionary. We need to get ahead of it and not behind it. You know, it's weird too. This is a really weird thing to say because I will admit this will be the fourth episode of this podcast. We've scheduled about 25 out, which is nice. And I've only had to delete one line from one podcast before it went live. And that was me and Brandon having an honest chat. And we decided that about 20 seconds of me talking should have been deleted. And hey, there's a 50-50 chance what I'm about to say. might <laughs> You might be the only person that ever hears this. But those Facebook groups, it's interesting because I would say for me, those Facebook groups are a huge reason that Whisker Cloud works with thousands of veterinary professionals around the world because I see it every single day. Someone goes into a group, hey, we need a new website, or and it's typically not even about a website. It's, you know, our hosting provider, our website's always down, our website got hacked, and then there's 30 comments in a row. Go to Whisker Cloud. They they have these crazy Google Cloud servers, they have all this security, and I see that all the time. And it's very cool to say, okay, nice, like this is great. And I'm telling you, we get some weeks we get like 30 to 50 demo requests and they all say like, heard about you in the AHA group, heard about you in the Uncharted group, heard about you in Snoutsville group. And it's really cool. On the flip side, I am in a lot of these groups and I follow and, and I'm constantly feeling horrible reading these threads on people talking about how they were treated, how they were fired, how clients are allowed to yell at them and no one ever has their back. There was a post recently I want to say in like the Veterinary Practice Managers Association page and someone had written, I did it. I finally quit. And I mean, there was 50 comments. I'm right behind you. I'm done. This isn't right anymore. We don't get paid enough for this. And and the thing that stressed me out reading it, in addition to feeling horrible for everyone, is you're right. It was just this echo chamber of let's all 
really talk about how horrible everything is. And and the thing that discouraged me, there, there really was barely anyone in this thread that said, well, hold on, hold on. I know this sucks, but what about this? What about that? And there was none of that. It was just sort of, and I think that's sort of what social media is now. I don't think people even realize that like people in the media, especially here in America, it's like they have this warped view. They just don't understand that like horrible headlines sell. They don't want to tell the nice story. They want to tell the bad story. But hearing what you said about these Facebook groups, you're right. They, they become such negativity things. Is it, is it maybe on the people who run the groups to say like, Hey, it's positive Tuesday. Let's talk about positive things. Or is that just not possible? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think it would just be, I think it would be great if everybody also recognizes that it, there's a lot of veterinary students and veterinary technician students that are watching all of this too. And they're the level of expectation that this career path is going to all work out for them is it can be quite low which is really sad too. So I don't have an answer besides the only answer that I have is imploring those that feel the same way that we feel that are passionate about this industry and know, or at least hope that they could affect some sort of positive change that they stand up and they take that leadership. It's scary, right? What you did was scary starting Whisker Cloud. That's terrifying. You had a great career. You had everything figured out and you took this leap of faith and you worked really, really hard in terms of leading this organization, but we need more of that, right? So so I feel like that's the only way forward is to not be downtrodden by the negativity, not be disheartened by some of the things that's going on within the industry, read um, corporate consolidation, as I say that, right? I'm not against any of these companies. It's just a, a, a fact, right? It's just a, a true fact about how veterinary medicine is progressing. And we need strong, passionate leaders in order to make this profession sustainable and fruitful for multi-generations. It's funny. I like hearing what you're saying. There was, I want to say about a month ago, I tell our support team and we've got a lot of people and someone emails to Whisker Cloud. There's 15 people that are typically jumping in to help. And, and we're constantly hiring for that because as we continue to grow, I never want people to say, Oh, well, I couldn't get a hold of them or it took too long. I want everything done same day, honestly. And I always tell them, don't tell me the little stuff, but if something's going on with someone and it's bad, fill me in. And it was maybe a month, month and a half ago. And a client I won't name in, in Oregon was just sent in a pretty rough message and, and was arguing with two people on the team. And, you know, I called her, I said, Hey, she goes, "Uh Oh, am I in trouble? Why are you calling me? I said, that's right. You're in the principal's office. But I, I said, I said, I don't even care. I saw you were upset. You were going back with our support team. Don't care. Are you okay? And it was like an instant, like I'm not, and and I said, well, let's talk. What's going on? And, you know, well, it's tough here in Oregon and and coronavirus is bad. And I tend to take it out on other people. And of course, me being me, I said, oh, oh, really? You mean it made it out of Oregon? I hadn't heard. Uh, <laughs> but the point being, it's, you know, we're all dealing with stuff. I mean, even the team at Whisker Cloud, it's tough. We we've had people here that have had people got they have gotten sick in their lives. We're all working from home. It's tough. We had a great team culture. We'd go do karaoke. We go do crab boils together. So now for us, it's very tough to have these big team meetings over Zoom. And it's a lot of stuff to balance over Zoom. So we definitely feel it on our end when there's that negativity. And uh, I don't think COVID has helped at all, which is 
tough. And it's been interesting to see the hospitals, especially the ones that we work with that have crushed it with curbside drop-off and having us build them like curbside drop-off forms and digitizing forms and doing digital payments and things like that. It's like, there's some that have really strong, probably I would say people who are very smart leadership. And then they also have these uh, emotionally strong people that run hospitals. So you seem like a pretty emotionally strong guy. So talk to me about you're getting ready to start this new hospital of the future and everything we're talking about here, you now are going to have this, you're kind of building up some pretty big expectations on social media and, and it's you behind it, not to put additional pressure live on this podcast, but how do you mentally prepare for that? Yeah, no, it's a, it's been an interesting journey to say the least. You know, last year I divested out of six veterinary clinics, took some time to do some soul searching and of course recognized that there was no place that I would rather be is, is on the front lines uh, running veterinary hospitals. It's uh, for everything that's going on, everything historically contextual, everything that we're dealing with in, in the present with veterinary medicine, everything that you and I just talked about, there is no question in my mind that the future of veterinary medicine is bright, that it is one of the greatest professions to be involved in. It is, uh, there's no place that I would rather dedicate or bet on in terms of my time and resources is, is veterinary medicine. It's the thing that I am infinitely passionate about. And the future is there's nothing but upside in, in my mind. So it's been an, an interesting journey. And one of the things in creating this new brand is me just recognizing that we need to try to be more thoughtful within the profession. And that is my mission statement. My mission is to reimagine veterinary medicine. And I don't pretend that I have it all figured out, but what I'm hoping to do is to create a veterinary clinic brand that acts more as a platform than an actual hospital itself. It'll certainly look and feel like a hospital, but what I'm hoping is to empower you know, the, my team in order to be able to reimagine and question I want every aspect of what we do within veterinary medicine to be questioned. Why do we do it this way? Is there a better way? Is there a way that we can make? We have three strategies in terms of this brand. One is innovation. One is supporting people. And the other is within experience. So how can we improve the customer experience? So that, those are the three pillars. And, and then for me to execute on that, uh, I'm going to do it in my style. And my style is very open, very transparent, very public. So that is the genesis of me getting on in front of a camera almost every day to give people an update of this vet clinic startup. And it's super, super fun to do. It's my way of communicating, but it's also strategic too. Like this is marketing. This is marketing in 2020, uh, showing people that you're a good person, showing people that you're passionate, showing people that you care, showing people that you're innovating, appealing to veterinarians to get them to want to come work for you, appealing to clientele to get them excited, to drum up that hype. This is the style I do it in, in, in front of a camera. So uh, I'm going to capitalize on that to the fullest extent. And yeah, it's super scary. It puts a lot of pressure on instead of nobody watching a uh, typical startup story. There's thousands of people watching now. So it's, uh, it's added pressure, but then it's also motivation too. So you had said earlier when we were talking about the smell from that first day you walked in and you, you could bottle up that smell. Let's say I was going to make a candle out of that smell. What would be the three things I would start in that candle? 
Iodine, dog pee, and uh, white blood cells. <laughs> mm, smells like fall. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, you and I talked the other day, and this is sort of the part where I was like, shit, why aren't we recording right now? <clears throat> we talked about what it should be like when you go to the vet and we we had talked about everything from it could almost be like the restaurant sonic where you kind of like pull up pick a spot it's like drive-through type deal you know when we talk about those things how far away are we from that where even the random hospital down the road that's been part of the neighborhood for 20 30 years at what point are they going to have to rethink the way they do things both internally with processes and physically are we going to have to change the look and feel of these hospitals at what point do we not have to go in get crammed into an an exam room stare at a bunch of file folders behind it's dimly lit it smells like iodine white blood cells and dog pee and and i'm handed a clipboard from a pen that fourteen thousand other people have touched to fill out all this information and then sit there and wait while my two Boston Terriers go nuts because there's a French bulldog across the way. Like where do, how does VetMed get there? Yeah, it's once again, a very multifactorial answer to that. As everything within life, it's, it's complicated. What we are going to see, one of the reasons why, why I'm starting FenVet is to execute on all of these theories that I've had, right? To, you know, I've been beating on the drum for the last seven years in terms of like social media marketing to veterinarians. And now that I'm involved with other organizations like 7S Society, where I'm helping veterinarians get into practice ownership. And I'm talking about all of these, these concepts that we should be implementing as a profession in 2020. Part of me just got frustrated. And um, I just decided like, I'm just going to show everybody instead of telling everybody. And that's probably the more effective way to do it. So instead of pontificating or being a pundit, I want to be a practitioner of these things that I speak about. So it is thinking about every small step of that customer experience is really, really important to me. And I put a lot of time into that. And and I really hope that I'll be able to move the needle forward in terms of customer experience within a veterinary clinic. But how do the other ones get there? You know, we have we have a, a large percentage of veterinary clinics owned by corporate consolidators. I feel like in terms of them really making paradigm shifts towards customer experience is going to be really hard. So I feel like where that's going to come from is the trenches of the private practitioner, these young veterinarians that are entrepreneurial, that we're going to see this massive retirement of these of these boomer practice owners. It's something like 11,000 practices across the U.S. are owned by veterinarians that are 65 plus. Uh, A lot of them don't have a succession plan in place and a lot of them, their practices don't appeal to traditional corporate consolidators. So it's going to be some of these veterinarians are going to be these younger entrepreneurial ones are going to have great opportunity to go in and to become practice owners, or they're going to have great opportunity to do startups and de novos and, and really push that even further. One of the things that I love about doing a startup is you, you don't have to do change management. You can start from scratch. So the customer experience can be from scratch. The the level of technology that we're going to utilize will be from scratch. I've done five acquisitions in my past and they're great to some extent. And then to another, uh, it's really, really hard to manage that change. So I I think, though, that that the real answer is uh, this happens in all industries. 
It doesn't matter if we're talking about the horse industry or the ice industry, the automobile industry, there's always going to be corporate consolidation. And then there's always going to be a maximizing of that effect. And then there's going to be entrepreneurs that come into that space and to fill niches. And that's what we're going to see is I think that, you know, over the next 20 years, we're going to see this huge surge of niche veterinary clinics where you could just now in this day and age, I swear, you could just say, I'm only going to practice on white cats, or I'm only going to practice on Boston Terriers. And you start up your, you know, you hang your shingle out front and you have a really robust marketing strategy. And I think you'll be super successful. So we're going to see tons of that. And, and I hope that's going to bring lots of practitioners to ownership. And when they come to ownership, I think that's going to have this very positive paradigm shift within the profession. And we should see some changes. As a side note, if you're out there, whether it's in vet school or practicing and you've decided that you only want to see Boston Terriers, call me. We're going to be best friends and I will uh, certainly be a wonderful consultant for your brand. Exactly. Oh, I can see it now. You could have Boston Terrier specific merchandise. And uh, yeah, you could have the best Boston Terrier uh, centric website that's ever existed. Uh, You could go on and on. I'm building it. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. So you're building FenVet. I'm excited to see it. You and I talked about the technology behind it. You were talking about talking to IT people, setting up phone lines, all of that stuff. It's even funny to me. And I've talked about this on other episodes. It's like Whisker Cloud. We have servers that are our main base servers are deep below the earth in Austin, Texas. And then there's backups kind of everywhere through Google. We have people at one point we were all in California. COVID has had some people move and we've had some people go home to Minnesota, to Denver. Brandon went to Idaho. Danielle's moving back to the East Coast. So everyone's moving around. And yet through technology, we manage thousands of people and businesses around the world all in the cloud. So why is it that I walk into a vet hospital and there's file folders everywhere, or there's the world's largest reception desk that has 17 phones and more wires than there are in my entire house on it. So how do we, how do you create an experience? Cause I think, you know what, it's weird when I think about healthcare and whether it's for me or my pets, I want sleek. I want modern. I don't think file folders and cords make me think, well, this is going to be the latest and greatest diagnostics and technology for my pet, even though they might be offering that. So you're going to get your, what are you going to do that's different? Yeah. Or, or you walk into a vet clinic and there's a $40,000 server that's sitting in some dusty closet and you're wondering why do they need a $40,000 server? Once again, that just goes back to this thoughtfulness and this opportunity that I saw to create a brand that that just questions those very fundamental things. So that's that's everything that we do is what does reception look like in 2020 and beyond? What does a practice management software have to do in order for us to have that sort of feel? Like a practice management software in 2020 should feel like Google programmed it. There's no excuses. There's got to be a solution out there. And, and I was able to find that. But I also, when I was looking, was able to find a lot of programs programs that are mainstays within the veterinary industry that were looked like they and felt like they were programmed in 1993. So 
is more just creating that culture of thoughtfulness of questioning. So what does this look like from a technology standpoint is, is just questioning every sort of aspect of that. So do we need a server or not? The answer is no. Do we actually need real phone lines? What does that mean? What does it mean to, to have hardline phones? What does that mean around a pandemic perspective? Does somebody really want to like touch a regular phone at a at a veterinary clinic now? Like you don't know whose mouth is on that mouthpiece and now it's a fomite for in- passing infection. Like it's the concept of a of a centralized phone or even a reception phone you know, post pandemic is is nearly disgusting, right? So you have to think through these things you know, how do we how do we interface with our clientele? How do I enjoy being interfaced with? I don't listen to voicemail. I haven't listened to voicemail in the last six months. If somebody calls me and they do not text me right back after they hang up, I will never get their message. And that's how I expect my clientele to, to interact. So that's how we need to interact as, you know, as a service provider. So it's just, it's not, you don't have to be a Steve Jobs you don't have to be a Brandon Brashears. You don't have to be this technical wizard in order to be super disruptive with technology. You just have to act like a human in 2020 and look around and look at all the different options that exist and just think about fundamentally, why do we do things the way that we do? And is there a better way? And, and guess what? There is. Well, now I know why you didn't listen to those six voicemails I left you about. <laughs> right. Don't go listen to them now. The last one, it sounds like I was crying. It was just a joke. You can just delete them. <laughs> I will never listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're doing all this stuff, but you are start, starting from scratch. So let's say we do have, I mean, I work with clinics everywhere in rural parts of Canada, in rural parts of Australia. We have a new one in England and of course, in I think 49 of 50 states. So for those people that don't get to build FenVet from scratch, let's say so- one of them said, hey, what is that show with the homes or like the bar rescue or, you know, where they come in and they just totally transform a business? If you were going to walk into pick a random clinic in the middle of Texas and walk in and have a little bit of a budget, what would you do to just the average hospital? You just rip out the reception desk. I mean, I already know the first thing you would do is call Whisker Cloud, but I mean, after that. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't even talked about that in terms of like physical design, not even technology based, but physical design and workflow post pandemic or mid pandemic or wherever we are within the world with this pandemic. But what does a waiting room even mean in 2020 anymore? What does a reception desk mean? But I think, I think fundamentally one of the first things that I would, that I would look at is practice management software. I think that is one of the low lying fruits. We need our practices to be operating as efficiently as possible. We need practice management software that's cloud-based. We need practice management software that clientele can interface with. We need practice management software that our employees can access from home. I know that's a controversial subject, but it just is what it is. My veterinarians should be able to go home and tuck their kids into bed and finish up their records if they want to, as opposed to being stuck with an antiquated system at the hospital and have to finish up notes or... Uh, I was talking to a veterinarian who's at a practice that utilizes very old practice management software, and she got a runny nose, so she could not come into work. 
and she had a few cases that she needed to, to clean up and she couldn't access her software. That's absolutely ludicrous. We need to utilize technology for flexibility. We need to utilize technology to make workflow better. So I would say that's kind of my first sort of low hanging fruit is that. And then it's just a thousand little things. Sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes you guys may not be able to, say, implement a full high-speed Wi-Fi, everything cloud-based, mesh network, all the veterinarians and technicians are are running off of their cell phones and laptops. Maybe that's not an option. Maybe you are in rural South Carolina and you just don't have that option. But being thoughtful about why do we just question it? Why do we do what we do? Just because the industry considers it standard does not make it the best way possible. I love that. And it's funny. It's like we don't do things the way other... There's a lot of companies out there that build websites for vets or that do social media for vets. I can tell you everything we do. This past Friday, two days ago, I had Lauren, our director of customer experience, was out here with her husband. I had Javi, our web development manager. I had Kat from our total operations manager team. I had Tori, our digital marketing manager. And there we were. And we sat down together and we had lunch at the office. It was our first time to get the office together since March. And it was really odd. We all wore masks. We all, luckily for us, our office is indoor, outdoor. So we had this huge courtyard. We were pretty far apart. And we just talked through every single thing we do at Whisker Cloud. How do we do this? How could it be better? What do we do with this? What could it be better? And we just spent the entire day doing that. And the ideas that came out of it are things that we don't do, that no one does, that we're going to find a way to do in terms of taking care of our clients quicker, doing web development faster. And one of the big things we've talked about, and this is why I'm excited to work with FenVet, is I personally, I love all of our sites. So if you're out there listening and you love your website, I love it too. There's, I think I would never have you launch a site if I didn't look at it and love it. But I, I have this dream of I want to change the look and feel of veterinary websites forever. And I think our sites are amazing. We're already the best at that. But I have this vision of making them. I don't want vet sites to look like vet sites. I want them to look like tech websites. I want them to have like five buttons. I want them to be full of automation, totally streamlined. And I basically want them to be almost an app that can be used from your phone or tablet or computer to get things done. I think we need to get past the here's my life story and all of that stuff. And we need to, I know this is might be one of those things where they tell me, dude, you got to cut that out of the episode. <laughs> but I mean, I, I want to get past that. I mean, people care about your story, but I, I think people want to go to a website and say, holy shit, this looks cool. Like my, my two Boston Terriers and our, and our cat, I feel bad. She always is like third in line there. Sorry, Nala, if you're listening, go to bed. But the point is like my two Boston Terriers, they're, they're my kids. And, and I want to, I want to bring them to cool places. I want it. I mean, I feel cool when I'm, I like go to my vet, Dr. Lewis, I go to his website. I fill out the online form for Apoquel and I always write, give me all of the Apoquel you can give me. And I get like the alert. They call me and say, Hey, it's here. Come get it. I just feel really cool. Like, cool. I did that for my phone on their website. I pulled up, they tossed it in the bag. It's very drug deal. Like, you know, I like <laughs> to their website and then I pull up at five 30 after work and you got the stuff and they just toss 16 milligram Apoquels in a giant plastic baggie into the car. And I drive off really quick. 
but I, I want vet med to think like that. I mean, I like the pause and, and the stuff and the logos, but let's stop with the pause and the silhouettes. Let's do some cool shit. Let's, let's get weird. Even, you know, if you're a current whisker cloud client listening to this, follow FenVet on Instagram, follow Cody, watch the design process he's going through because it's impressive. I was talking to Danielle a couple days ago and she was talking about the design process you have going in the team you've built. You've built a massive team. You're doing that with purpose. You're doing this because you might be looking at it one way and you have experts on graphic design and hospital design and what colors should you use. And that's pretty cool that I think a lot of hospitals don't think about those things. And what we need to do now is we need to translate that from the physical world to the digital world and sort of merge that experience. I only had one job in this whole process, one real job, because the rest I've just been able to lean on the people that I'm partnering with and say, tell me all the things that you wish you could do. That's that's what I did with my architect. So the thing that I did, the only thing that I did was to define a clear mission. So what is the mission of FenVet? The rest takes care of itself. If you have a very, very clear mission in your mind, that's the hard work. That is the only thing. And I agonized for months and months and months right here in this very office, like laid on the floor with pieces of paper, trying to sketch out what a veterinary practice of the future should look like. In pure agony, I would have fever dreams at night trying to figure this out. But once I was able to crystallize that vision... The rest was easy. So so with the, my architect, they, basically all I had to do was to, to show her my business plan, to show her what my mission, what my strategies were. And then I said, I know that there's a thousand things that you wish you could do in veterinary clinic design and building that everybody says no to. I want to know all those things and I only want those things because you're an expert in this and you see that my mission is to just reimagine the way that we do things. And what was the result? To me, the most revolutionary veterinary clinic that has ever been designed. It is to me, it is a true paradigm shift in what clinics will look like. And it is in terms of the brand and figuring all that out and surrounding myself with this amazing team like Danielle and Jessica Vogel saying, and, you know, I have a veterinary student, Sophie, who's part of 7S and Dan Markwalder and all these absolute titans of veterinary medicine. All I've had to do is communicate what the mission is and they do the rest. So like working with Danielle or working with Emily on, on design and colors, I just tell them like, you tell me, what does this look like to you? You know, branding better than I know it. I just want you to tell me all the things you wish you could do when you're working with a veterinarian. And that, that's what I want to do with you guys. Like Adam, I want you to design a vet clinic, not based off of what I want. I want it based off of what you want, because you're my prospective clientele. You're the person that I want to impress when you go to fenvet.com. So like, I don't have any input. The only input that I have is, is to tell you what my mission is and, and you do the rest. That's all the hard work that goes into it. All right. But you got to promise me when I build this. Because I, I feel like I, w- I w- this was recorded. I was just given full reign to have me and our web team here build anything that I envision for FenVet. All I request, and, and if you're out there and you've worked with Whisker Cloud or you, you want to work with Whisker Cloud, for the love of God, please send us pictures of the hospital. Oh, it's going to be so beautiful. I can't wait for you to see it. It's, uh, it's been an amazing process. I actually want to hear, how's this? Do you enjoy FPV drone footage? 
Yeah, if you listen to episode two of the Whisker Cloud podcast, you'll hear me and Brandon Brashears talk about how we were almost arrested and then another person threatened to call the police on us while droning. And yes, <laughs> huge fan. When the cops aren't after me, love droning. Yeah, and I, and I take full responsibility for Brandon because uh, I'm the one that got him into the drone life. So I had this fever dream about having a, a veterinary clinic uh, grand opening video that is 100% shot with a with one of those mini quad drones so i think i think that'll turn out super cool i'll give you all that footage you probably don't know this story but when i started my social media journey 2013 it was based off of when we started a website at the vet clinic i was working it was 2013 and this vet clinic did not have a website that was my one of my first things as a new associate and new uh, and a soon to be partner was I had said like we need to get this practice on the map and I started working with this web developer and he was excellent I got to meet him in person he went on calls with me so we really got to understand that and he he's the one that opened my eyes and he said I can build you a great website that's no problem but it is static it is a still a static piece of marketing and he's the one that turned me on to to what social media marketing should do because that is where that level of excitement and brand trust comes from is in the creative right so so content being king and and that's uh you know is a is a long story a long process from going from like twitter to instagram to starting to do vlogs and and now this fenvet chronicles this kind of unfurling of of this new veterinary clinic brand but it, it all started on the backbone of let's build a website but we also have to tell our story we have to tell that story and it is never finished. And you know what the funny thing is? I think a lot of people think telling a story is with the content. You know, it's like people come to us. A lot of people come to us from other web companies and they'll say, yeah, well, this company is the storytelling company. And you look at their website and it's like, from the moment you walk in the door, you'll feel just how much we care. The way your dog looks into your eyes is the same way that we'll look into theirs. And it's just like, shut up. No one, like, you You couldn't sell me anything like that. Stop that. Like, I don't want to read that shit. I want to know, like, why are you a badass doctor? What do you guys do? What's the technology you offer? And do you really give a shit about me? And, and everyone's going to have their own way to put that. But yeah, I don't, I don't believe that that's storytelling. I think storytelling is like, hey, we have we have this technology here and we and we say and do these things because this is who we are and this is what we do. I, I think the sappy stuff is very fake. And I think a lot of people see that it's fake. We don't want to do that. We want to have if I'm going to a new vet, a new restaurant, new anything, it's like I want to go to that site and be like, shit, this is cool. You know, restaurant, we buy our tomatoes from here. This is how we wash them. This is how we prepare them. Wow, that sounds good. So, yeah, I mean, I've I've seen some of your early stuff. I love what you're doing there because it is. It's about telling that brand story. And brand story is not sappy paragraphs all over the website. Brand story is like, no. I was laying on the floor of my office dreaming about this. I was doing the same. I was on a boat in Miami and I was with my best friend and his wife and my wife. And I'm just like, you guys know that thing I wasn't talking about doing for vet medicine for like two years. I'm doing it. And no one's going to be even close to what we build. And it's, 
And here we are, and we still sit there in the middle of a pandemic, eight feet away from each other in the courtyard, wearing masks, yelling to each other, we should do this. We should do that. Let's talk through that because we're not going to, we're not going to sit back and just let shit get stale. Yeah. And it's, you have to think about marketing, like falling in love. So like, that's, that's what I try to do, right? That's what I encourage people to do is you're trying to get people to fall in love with the team. You're trying to get people to fall in love with the practice. If you think about that, you know, that sort of sappy storytelling that you were telling, that's never going to do it. Like if that was a dating profile, you would see right through that and roll your eyes and click on to the next one, right? You know, a great marketing is falling in love. That's, that's what happened with me and Whisker Cloud. You being on Brandon's podcast and me listening to the level of passion that you had for what you do made me fall in love. It made me think that my next website will be powered by Whisker Cloud. And that's what you should be trying to do as a brand. You're trying to make people fall in love with you. And to do that, you have to be real. You have to, you have to show that level of passion. This happens to me all the time. If I'm just like, if I'm just listening to a podcast and there's somebody that comes on that I've never heard of, you listen to them for an hour, speak about something that they're super passionate about, and you physically fall in love. You become a fan. That's what we're trying to do here. And then the other side of that is then just also that sort of, we talked about it right at the very start, this kind of, uh, this brand recognition around the word cow vet. So when you hear the word cow vet, you think of Cody. That's what local practices should be doing too. You should be carving out that niche of being the veterinarian for your town, the small animal vet. So when somebody thinks of small animal vet, they think of you, they think of your practice. That level of brand recognition is so important. You know, what's funny too. It's like I grew up in Vegas and there was this there was this lawyer there, famous lawyer named Glenn Lerner. And I could like sing his jingle and my entire life. Like I have no idea how old Glenn Lerner is now. But I I remember growing up and like I got my first speeding ticket. I was in college. It was like 20 and I was on my way to school. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'll just call Glenn Lerner. Like, I don't know what the hell what type of I could. have. He might have done like murder defense. <laughs> It's like the moment that I got pulled over right down the street from my college UNLV, I'm like, all right, I'm calling Glenn Lerner. So it's just funny if, if these lawyers can become sort of these like fake local celebrities, you should be able to do the same as a veterinarian. And, and, you know, we write about that on our blog a lot. It's like, don't just sit there and run some Facebook or Google ads. I mean, we're happy to help you with that, but actually get out there, go to events and, sponsor different things, work with animal shelters. Like that's honestly the best marketing advice I could give any veterinary hospital on the planet is go to the the nearest animal shelter, animal, wherever near you and offer a special, a great special to anyone. I mean, a really good special, anyone that adopts a pet. I mean, A, you should do it just because it's nice. And B, it's like, these are people in a lot of cases, probably getting the first pet, don't have any affiliation to a veterinary hospital and, and the people at the shelter say, Oh, cool. Well, we partner with them. They're really close. They're really great. You know, they work with us. They genuinely care. Like that feels like if I opened a vet hospital tomorrow, I would go to the, the 10 nearest animal shelters and say, Hey, two of my three animals are rescued. I ran a big dog rescue, which is what led me to whisker cloud. You actually had said they would have the biggest, best Boston Terrier website on earth. I actually own and built that. ten years <laughs> ago. It's the letter I Boston Terrier.com. I haven't run it in a while, but yeah, I Boston Terrier. I built that. So, and we worked with a lot of vets and, 
yeah, you could become that sort of that local fixture, that local celebrity, and then you're doing a good deed. And it's like, it's kind of free marketing at that point, which is really great. So it's a win-win across the board. Absolutely. They, my only intent with getting onto social media was just hyper local marketing was just showing people that I was a good person and that I was a competent cattle veterinarian. So when they were ready to look for a new cow vet, they were sick of their old crusty cow vet or whatever reason that they were moving on and they were looking for, you know, a a new veterinarian. I wanted to be the first person that popped into their mind. And now, now obviously the, the, the social media marketing stuff for me grew beyond that. And I'm really, really grateful for that. But that, that was the roots. The, The roots was create this dynamic storytelling in order for me to do hyper local marketing of my vet services. Man, this was this was killer. I mean, I love and this was I this sounded identical to our phone conversation the other day, just sort of shooting the shit about the future of vet med, what it should look like, what it should feel like. And I'm excited that for you and I, this isn't even close to the end. This is sort of the beginning of working on some cool stuff because a lot of the things you said today, I, I take a lot of these podcast episodes and, and I, it gives me a lot to think about in terms of what you what you say when you're talking with students. And you had made the comment that 50% of people feel like excited and, and really invested even in vet school, which I've been sitting here has been on like the back of my mind the whole time thinking like, man, if if it's already 50-50 by the time they get to vet school and then they get out of school no wonder there's some toxicity in this industry. And it's so funny because I really try hard not to steer too far away from what Whisker Cloud does. But at the, on the other side, it's like, I, I constantly thinking like, what else could we be doing in vet med? Am I an educator? No. I mean, I can certainly give people a lot of advice about SEO and, and how you should set up SSL certificates and how automation works. But there is part of me that wants to be a resource and work with people like you and Danielle and Jessica and Brandon and, and Dan and everyone else on creating content. Cause I am someone who runs a business and manages a lot of people and works hard to keep my employees motivated and happy. So it's no different than what you're going to be having to do 30 days in defend vet. The first time a client screams at you guys in person, no matter how nice the hospital looks. I got a great new business idea for us, a great collaboration. Well, don't say it on the air. They're going to steal it. No, nobody will steal it. I I tell all my secrets on the air because still nobody will end up uh, following it. Let's collaborate and create an online global veterinary school. Let's disrupt veterinary education. We'll have Whisker Cloud U, uh, the world's first online veterinary school that is scaled. I think that would be really fun. You guys handle the technical side. Uh, I'll throw together the 10 best veterinary educators that we can find. And yeah, let's let's try to disrupt uh, institutional veterinary education. Okay, Ross, <laughs> we're coming for you, I guess. <laughs> and as Dean, uh, Dean Greenbaum of Whisker Cloud U, I promise to all students a fair happy and productive education. All right, fine. We're doing it. I'm probably not going to publish this podcast for 12 months (laughs) so we can get a running start. By the time people hear it, they're going to be like, oh shit, that's a good idea. And they'll be like, oh damn it, Whisker Cloud U is up. Well, see, now you're going to be conflicted because you're going to have to pull. We've already made huge promises for the FenVet website. So people are going to be going to FenVet.com when they hear this and they're going to be expecting magic. If you don't publish this episode, then you're not going to you're not going to get to showcase the magic that you create with FenVet.com. 
All right, fine. We're publishing this in like two weeks. Really quick, this will be my last question of the podcast, and I'll let you go. It's Sunday, plus the Lakers are playing, hopefully for a championship in two hours. If I end up, if this goes live and we're all listening to it like two weeks later and everyone's like, oh man, the Lakers lost game six. <laughs> he, he must have been really sad. What would the mascot be other than a cow? What would the mascot be for Whisker Cloud U? Oh, I think I should just be the mascot. I uh, fancy myself a bit of a as a Dumbledore. So I, you can be the dean, but I need to be the headmaster. And I'll just walk around in a robe and I'll, I'll grow my beard back and I'll have this uh, big long staff. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think I think I could just be the the mascot. There it is. Perfect. Well, man, I appreciate you hanging out on a Sunday. This was awesome. I, I hope people get to uh, listen to a lot here. You know, if you haven't yet, subscribe. We're on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of those. And uh, keep an eye on the FenVet website because I guess I better start working on it today. <laughs> yeah. If anybody has any questions about what we talked about, certainly reach out to me. Send me a DM on Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or uh, send me an email at uh, Cody at CodyCrillman.com until Adam gets my Cody at FenVet.com running. (laughs) All right, man. Have a good night. We'll talk soon. Okay, see you. Thank you for having me on.